Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 183 being recorded on Thursday, August 8th, 2019. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. We are really excited this week to have back on the show, Jason Del Rey. Jason is Senior Correspondent, Commerce at Recode. He's also produces the industry event, Code Commerce. And now joins Jason, Retail Geek, and I in the uh, pantheon of famous podcasters. He was last on the Jason Scott Show on episode way back on episode 67, which was January 17. Uh, back then, he was senior editor. So I guess congrats on the big promotion to senior correspondent. <laughs> I don't know if that's a joke or not, but I am I am happy to be back. I was going to make a sport sports talk radio joke, which is... Second time, long time. Do you know what hmm. that means? No? Okay, no. we'll keep we'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. It's it's good to have you back. We don't get to make fun of the Knicks enough, so Oh man, this is gonna be a long night. <laughs> uh, so so. true that uh your appearance on the Jason and Scott show sort of ignited your whole passion for podcasts? I mean, I yeah, I honestly did not know what podcasting was. And then I came in, um, you guys taught me the ropes. And how many years later is this? I don't know. It took me a couple of years to like build up the courage and skill set. But here I am. So thank you. Cool. Welcome to the club. It's exciting <laughs> to have you up in the, in the, in the podcaster realm. <laughs> Only for a few more weeks, but... Uh, Hopefully there'll be a long tail of listeners that'll that'll extend the uh, land of the Giants uh, fan club into into the rest of this year. Absolutely, and we are going to deep dive into that. But before we get into land of Giants, I want to talk about one of your other projects that's near and dear to Scott and I's heart. Um, I think it might have been three years ago now, uh, but you. Uh, started a series of events, uh, code commerce. And that, that, yeah, that's right. So we started, um, we started with these one night, um, one night, uh, what we would consider a live journalism events. And we started, uh, inside of shop talk, I think year one of shop talk, we did a sort of, uh, a separate one night event within shop talk that required a separate ticket. And it's basically three hours, you know, an hour of some light food and drinks and networking. And then usually three or four, what we like to think are no BS um, interviews with, you know, people like in past years, you know, we've had people like Jack Dorsey talking about square, um, Katrina Lake, pre-IPO, uh, talking about Stitch Fix, Mark Laurie uh, several years ago. And um, over time, we've built that that into a standalone two-day event that uh, we're going on year three. Um, and that's a New York City uh, standalone event um, that happens uh, every September. And so we're only about a month out. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so, uh, and you have announced some of the, the guests that you're going to have for this year's show. We have. So, um, we've announced maybe, uh, maybe about three quarters of the lineup, um, which I'm super excited about. Uh, we have entrepreneur founder CEOs like, uh, Jennifer Hyman of Rent the Runway, Julie Wainwright, who just took the real, real public, um, Mark Laurie, um, from Walmart, uh, Jeff Rader, the co-CEO and co-founder of Harry's, which um, has agreed to sell uh, for like $1.3 billion. Um, I could keep the CEO of Birkenstocks in the U.S. and uh, the founders of Away, uh, the digital native luggage, or they would call themselves, what do they call themselves? Travel company. So yeah, there's... Um, so that that's that's sort of off the top of my head. That those are some of the great guests we'll have, and we um, and there's a few more as well. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. Uh, uh, Away is kind of controversial on this show because Scott is a big fan and advocate, and I'm not so much. Um, should we dive into that now, or should we save that? Sure. Let's. So, Jason, it took me like six years to get him to buy a four wheel bag, and uh, then he didn't get in the way. I don't. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, I will say that, uh, um, we are a, I, I have an, I have a new ish four wheel bag that, um, was purchased by my wife at TJ Maxx. And so if that doesn't give it away, um, I'll just say it, it's not in a way bag. And it was probably about a third of the price, but I, I'm very fond of the look of the Waybacks, and I'm very, very interested in whether they are able to um, do what they say they want to do, which is um, build themselves into really a multi-product uh, brand that um, sort of encompasses all the different types of products you could need or want um, on trips and sort of in your travel life. Yeah, it's... um. So I honestly, like I have a critique of the product and, but more seriously of the company, like, uh, the, the super brief product one, it's kind of a mid mid tier bag. It's perfectly fine. Uh, I travel a lot more than either of you. I've already uh, been on planes 150,000 miles this year. Uh, and so I, it like, it tends to be worth it to invest in the most durable bag possible. And for me that like, I really like a bag that can, uh, expand. And so a soft sided expandable bag works better for me. Uh, yep. Scott. So what, so what is your brand of choice? Uh, so I, my, I have a Briggs and Riley. Okay. More expensive, yep. uh, more durable. Like I've already been with Scott, uh, when he was repairing his away bag and, you know, I would argue I have many more miles on my Briggs and Riley bags that I've never had a problem. With. Um, but that's, I mean, I, I'd say both bags get, you get what you pay for, which is fine. Um, and I, I don't have a huge critique. My bigger thing, that I'll, you know, maybe you'll get a chance to bring up on uh, in your conversation uh, with Jen. Uh, I visited their pop-up shop in Tribeca and I thought it was a fabulous piece of retail. And, and you already alluded to it. Uh, they get mad when you call them a luggage company. They like to call themselves a travel company. Um, and you, you go to this pop-up shop and they very much like we're merchandising and glorifying the travel lifestyle. So like, you know, there, there was a lot of like, 
memorabilia and stuff that made you, you know, sort of aspire to go to destinations. And, you know, it felt like the, the luggage was a helpful enabler of this lifestyle that Away was positioning, right? And whenever you hear, uh, you know, either founder talk about the company, that's exactly how they talk about it. Um, so then they, they uh, started opening permanent stores. Yes. And the permanent stores are super sterile um, shelves with luggage on them that, like, I could replace the Away with Samsonite or Tumi and it would, like, feel exactly the same. So, yeah, so we will definitely 100% talk about this. Um, I think my my guess or my educated guess is that um, they are going to, so, so they, they've, they've talked about that they're going to open, I forget what the number is, but I believe dozens of stores is the idea across the country, or maybe not just across the country, maybe some select international markets over the next few years. And I think, frankly, they are still, I, I think they will rethink their approach. Um, but um, I will let them speak for themselves on trying to remember if they're speaking on September 9th or September 10th at Code Commerce. Um, uh, whichever day I, you know, be sure um, that this will be a topic we dive into. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I will be there uh, and it'll, it'll uh, be fun to hear their, their POV. Uh, I'll Great. probably check my Briggs and Riley bag so they don't have to see it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it up on stage. Awesome. I'll, I'll loan it to you. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, it's going to be awesome to see what news comes out. We'll be doing a show. We always do a recap show um, from there. And let's talk about your podcast. So Land of Giants, you've got, uh, at the time we're recording this, there's three episodes out. Uh, it's kind of a different kind of flavor than kind of what we're doing here with news, obviously. So, so tell us about kind of what got you what started on this and, and how you're laying it out. Sure. And, and just so, um, just so I, I don't know how touchy the search, the search uh, functions are on podcast apps. I'll just slightly correct that it's a land of the giants. Um, so if people want to search it's a land of the giants. Um, and uh, I'll try to make the backstory quick. Essentially, Recode and Vox Media has had a lot of success with podcasts over the last few years. My colleagues, Peter Kafka, Kara Swisher, they have um, phenomenal um, interview style shows. Um, but there had been a couple of things going on at the same time that led to this. Um, first is uh, Peter Kafka, my uh, friend and colleague, came to me and said, you know, you should, uh, the company's looking for more podcasts. Uh, you should do something on Amazon. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. And then simultaneously, there were conversations in other parts of the company um, about an idea of um, doing a narrative, getting into more of narrative storytelling in podcasts. There, there's not a lot of great narrative storytelling in the business world as it relates to audio. Um, and so there was this idea to do a franchise around the Fang companies and do a season on each um, company. So sort of the idea to do something on Amazon um, with that interest in the Fang franchise um, coalesced. And for me, um, the timing was for me all about a couple, couple of things. One is obviously there's a ton of discussion around power of tech companies right now. Um, in DC, in Silicon Valley, um, in the media, 
Um, so that felt like good timing. The other piece is I, you know, you guys know this too, from being in the industry, it's very easy day to day to like worry about the next, or in my case, write about the next product announcement, the next business Amazon's getting into. And like, you know, I'll have some context in my articles, but it, it sometimes you, you need to force yourself to like step out to the big picture and say like, you know, you know, is the status quo in e-commerce right now? Like, is that healthy? Um, what are the, what are all the impacts on society of everything this company is trying to do? And so I've had all those questions in my head for a long time. And this, this seemed like a way to, to have the time to sort of both dive deep and like take a broader look at the same time. So that's, the why um, I, I can I can I can give a little more detail on what what we're actually trying what we're actually set out to do with the content if you'd like or I can let you guys ask me whatever you want. Yeah, so let's. I want to get to uh, a little more of the context, but just to make sure that uh, our audience is tracking. Um, so the the notion is there's a season about each of the Fang companies. So there's a Correct. Amazon season. Uh, and I think most people know Fang, but uh, Apple, Facebook, Netflix, and Google. Um, so it's actually F-A-A-M-G. Um, so that's the idea. You'll have a season about each of those companies. And then you're, you're currently three episodes into the Amazon season. Is there a... Do, like, do you already know how many episodes there are going to be of the Amazon season? Yeah. So, yes. So there will be um, seven episodes and there's a chance that episode seven will um, will be taped live at um, Code Commerce. And so if uh, if that if that ends up being the case, uh, uh, episode seven will sort of break from the format we have in each in the episode so far, which is sort of a story tell, uh, telling a story basically throughout uh, on a, on a given uh, topic area uh, involving Amazon and episode seven would sort of be like a conversation recap of, and like of, of what listeners have heard through the first six episodes. Um, and so you can imagine the challenge of trying to break up <laughs> Amazon's impact and uh, into into six or seven episodes is not easy. And so, um, in episode one, we we tried to. Um, I, I I think of. I'm curious what you guys think. You know, the the foundation of Amazon's retail sort of rise and dominance to me has been Prime. And so, episode one, we both have Amazon executives and employees telling the origin story of how Prime came to be, and then we also get into the consumer psychology of how prime has been able to lock us lock you know over 100 million people into uh amazon's ecosystem and makes it very hard um uh to break out uh episode two i, I had this big question of like what does amazon want from being inside our homes with alexa with all the connected devices with ring with Eero, with you know the basically the smart home. And so we explore that question with, with an Amazon executive and also, um, you know, some smart people who asking some skeptical questions about, you know, what this future of a fully automated home, um, uh, will, will, uh, will feel like and, and how that might impact our lives in the future. And then the third episode, which aired so far was, um, 
a look at Amazon's impact on local com- com- communities. Um, of the big tech companies, you know, I would argue that Amazon has the sort of the biggest um, physical impact on small communities around the around the country um, because of their warehouse network. North of 100, I think 110 now, large fulfillment centers just in the U.S. And so we went to a small town in Kansas, uh, which was home to one of Amazon's first fulfillment centers. I think it was number three or four and where they left a few years ago and, and told the story of what happens when they came and left. And um, and then I went to my hometown of Staten Island, New York, which is home to one of Amazon's very new, very automated uh, fulfillment centers to get uh, the taste of um, what the promise is in a, in a small community when, when Amazon comes to town today. Um, I'll let, I'll take a breath now. Yeah. It's, uh, it, yeah. So I'll be curious. It's interesting. Like I, I totally would agree with you that Amazon has the biggest physical footprint and, you know, therefore like sort of physically has the most impact on those small towns. Uh, some of the other ones are, you know, much more responsible for deciding who our government leaders are and how <laughs> we, and we think. So like, it's hard, it's hard to know which one has more impact on your day-to-day life, but yeah. To- to- totally. And, and, and I should, I should say, you know, yes, that's 100% true. Um, uh, you know, part of, part of the thesis or the the mission of of the whole franchise land of the giants has been, you know, it is easy in our day to day getting caught up in our day to day lives, work, family, family life, you know, uh, pleasure. Uh, what sort of what the broad impact and what the broad reach of these companies now um, uh, now is in our lives. And and that's not to say it's all bad. I mean, there's it's a lot, a lot of good, and I hope that you know will come across in in the series as well. Um, but uh, it feels like a moment in time where um, you know um, healthy scrutiny um, is something that the world could use a little more of. Cool. Has Amazon been kind of supportive of this, or they they didn't really engage on it? <laughs> You know, or they, or they hate it. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I have not gotten a lot of feedback from the company since uh, since episode one uh, uh, aired a few weeks ago. So they participated um, in episode one. Uh, I interviewed one of the people I interviewed was Jeff Wilkie, who has been at Amazon two decades and is now the CEO of basically basically the global retail business. I think his title is CEO of Global Consumer, and he reports to uh, Jeff Bezos. Um, in episode two, I did uh, interview the vice president of the smart home at Amazon. Um, and, you know, for uh, episode four, which will come out uh, the week of August 12th, so uh, a, a little less than a week from now, you know, I got a tour of one of Amazon's uh, more automated warehouses for an episode about sort of Amazon as an employer and automation. Um, and so they've, but they also just, you know, turned down an on the record interview for um, an episode that'll be about uh, competition on the Amazon platform and sort of antitrust scrutiny. Um, so I would say, They've probably participated a little more than I expected, but I think they're I think they're kind of still in a wait and wait and see mode. Yeah. Did you uh, did the fulfillment center that you toured was it like Kiva based or was it one of the ones with like the pallet lifting robot or uh, something that we haven't seen yet? 
uh, it was, um, you know, so I, I don't know what I didn't see in the warehouse. So it's possible it had more than I saw. But it, um, what I saw were, were, I don't know that they call them Kiva anymore, but yes, the, the orange, I think they call them mobile drive units, uh, carrying, carrying the eight foot tall shelves um, to their stowers and their pickers. Got it. Cool. So you, uh, you like us, spend a lot of time thinking about Amazon. What's, what's something as you've done the podcast that kind of was a new discovery for you? That's a great question. Um, I think, I think so far, um, it reinforced a lot, a lot of the things I thought I knew about the company over the last six years. You know, I will say one thing that stuck out to me um, that's in one of the episodes that has already aired. So um, episode two is about sort of the smart home and Alexa. And, um, you know, I won't give too much away for people who haven't listened, but essentially I'm talking to someone who's an author and futurist about, you know, all the types of things that Amazon might do in the future with the data they can collect. And, you know, I asked the VP of the smart home, uh, Daniel Rausch, I said, so, you know, do you guys have teams inside of Alexa? I know you have thousands of employees working on Alexa that sort of kind of listen to like this, the questions coming from the skeptics of this, you know, um, as I said that, um, the echo, the echo behind me, Alexa, off. I'm going to ignore that. Um, sorry guys. So, um, uh, <laughs> they're always, always Always listening. listening. Yep. Um, <laughs> at least your stills work. So they're not too angry with you when you're, when your prime shipments stop and your Alexa stops, then you know that you've angered the Amazon. Um, I, I, I was a little surprised. So I asked, you know, I asked this VP of the smart home, um, you know, do you sort of listen to what a lot of the smart, smarter skeptics are saying and what they're worrying about in the future and kind of try to like maybe work back from, you know, some of those potential, you know, use cases that people are worried about or, you know, data collection people are worried about. And his answer was essentially, <laughs> we were, you know, very Amazon. We work back from, you know, customer problems and, you know, you know, we start from a place of optimism always. And and that phrase, like starting from a place of optimism, I mean, in what tech can do, I mean, it's why Amazon is uh, the amazing company it is today. But also in this climate in 2019, like seeing like it's happened with like Facebook and social networks. And, you know, it just felt, um, I, I guess I was just surprised at the sort of lack of acknowledgement or um, what seemed to me self-awareness um, uh, about sort of the downsides of, of, you know, the advancement, the sort of the fast pace of, of uh, innovation sort of, you know, even specifically like inside our homes. Anyway, so that's one thing that sort of stuck out to me um, that uh, was a little surprising, I'd say. Yeah, that uh, totally makes sense. I mean, I, to me, that's part of the fun of your podcast is, for your point, uh, you know, most of the listeners of this show are sort of living this stuff day to day. And it's like, you know, there's some new piece of news about something Amazon's doing every week, if not every day. And uh, uh, it's kind of fun on the show that you you kind of uh, take the 50,000 foot view and kind of put it in a broader uh 
context than, than we sometimes get looking yeah. at leaves. Yeah. And like the challenge, you know, the challenges we're trying to do a couple of things. Like my goal is to have Jason and Scott and the listeners of this podcast and the, you know, uh, sort of the sources I have, you know, developed over six years, day to day reporting, like find enough compelling storylines and, and hopefully new information as well, that even though they live this day to day, they are coming away saying, that was a pleasant storytelling experience, or I learned something new, or I never, I didn't think of it that way, while also being welcoming to people who don't live this day to day, but but have Amazon in their lives, you know, in a big way and wonder about Amazon or wonder about Jeff Bezos or, you know, sort of sit on the periphery of, of these industries. And so I, I think from the feedback I've gotten and the reviews I've seen, I, I think we've done a, a pretty good job at that so far. Um, but, you know, we'll have, you know, episode six, which will be antitrust and competition on the Amazon marketplace. Like in that one, like we'll dive into the weeds in a way that I think even people in the industry will, um, it'll really, really resonate with. And I think, um, will be both surprising and hopefully, um, somewhat news making. So I'll leave that tease. Nice. That That's a good teaser. Uh, a couple of short fun facts on stuff we've already covered. Uh, I can't let it go without teasing Scott. Uh, Scott had an opportunity to be an early investor in Kiva and thought it was a stupid idea. Ooh, Scott. Yeah. Well, it was an NC State professor and he was talking about how he was going to take the algorithm ants use and apply it to warehouses. And it just didn't, didn't make sense to me. The ant part lost me. <laughs> but he was right. I was wrong. Um, <laughs> uh yeah, I don't have. I, I'm just. I'm shaking my head in this empty house right now. So, <laughs> and uh, you you mentioned so in episode three, uh, you visited a uh, a warehouse that's now a fulfillment center that's now closed. You you teased us that you went to a modern fulfillment center in episode four. Uh, a fun fact for listeners: Amazon actually uh, gives a, a remarkably good tour of a bunch of those modern fulfillment centers. So even if you're not a fancy journalist like Jason, um, you you can uh, go to a, a web URL and uh, reserve a tour. I take clients on these tours all the time. And it's if you're in the industry or you're just interested, it's, it's super worth going. Um, so as you're listening to episode four and hearing Jason's description, uh, know that you can, you can follow it up with an in-person experience. And I'll put the the link in the show notes. Have you been to the Staten Island, New York fulfillment center? I haven't. And so an interesting question, which I'll, uh, I'll see if our intern can figure out while I'm talking to you. Um, only certain of the facilities are available for the tours. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I don't think Staten Island is so like in your neck of the woods, Robbinsville, New Jersey, and, uh, uh, West Deptford are available, but okay. I, I don't see Staten Island on the list. Um, I'm in Chicago and, uh, they, they have, uh, uh, you used to have to go to Jefferson, Indiana. Um, and now there's a, uh, 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 Monet, which is a suburb of Chicago that you can go to. So you can make it super easy. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. And, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I presume you had a slightly different experience that at the very least they let you bring a mic in. Um, they do like frisk you for all your digital devices. <laughs> and yes, 
Go yeah, on. there were okay. there were big um, there were big uh, no no phone or no camera signs, and then um, yeah, I, I was going to say another. I, I, I'm I'm hesitant to say what I think my memory is surfacing right now. Another no something sign, but I'm I'm wondering if maybe it was when I visited a different Amazon facility five years ago or six years ago in Phoenix. Um, I have a, I have a vague memory of a no guns sign, but, um, uh, anyway, I, 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 I am admitting I, I, I don't remember for sure. So I probably shouldn't have said it, but, uh, this, this isn't like this is public, a public conversation. So it's fine. No, it's not like anyone will listen. It'll be nope. totally safe. Uh, Jeff Bezos, if you're listening, I'll, I'll put Jason's phone number in the show notes. Speaking uh, of Jeff, speaking of Jeff Bezos, I got a secret, I got a little, uh, package in the mail today, uh, from, from Kara Swisher and, uh, the box says Bezos primed and the hundred and hundred billion dollar man. And I opened it up and it is a Jeff Bezos figurine, maybe like, oh, a foot high. Um, and it comes with a uh, robot that he was spotted with at one of his events a few years ago. Um, so I can um, uh, maybe that can be your show mascot. Uh, that would be awesome. Is it? I'm assuming because of the robot, it's Buff Jeff Bezos and not uh, a bookstore Jeff Bezos. Yeah, if you if you Google as I just did, Jeff Bezos yellow robot, the first image that comes up is Jeff Bezos walking with a yellow sort of is this a robot dog boston dynamics robot dog and he is wearing and jeff in the figurine is wearing what jeff is wearing in this photo which is vest yep patagonia obligatory bc best um does it have a drawstring and do the jeff laugh when you i i couldn't i couldn't see past the bulging biceps which i'm a little envious of honestly and uh, (laughs) um anyway yeah, I got I got us off track, but Jeff Bezos, there yeah. he is. So that was really your way of just working in that Kara Fisher knows your address, which is impressive. But um, <laughs> I know she actually, well. she actually, I've only worked with her for six years, and she had to text me for my address the other day. So not <laughs> not that cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of assumed that was the case. Um, Jeff will have to compete because I have a current mascot, uh, uh, mascot staring at me that I was going to bring to Code Commerce this year. Uh, I have one of the pets.com sock puppets. Ooh, yes. Um, yes. And I'm assuming you're saying that because we're going to have uh, Julie Wainwright, who um, back in the day at one point ran pets.com. So for, for younger listeners, pets.com was uh, one of the, the fast runners in the first pre-internet crash uh, that was uh, uh, sort of a precursor to Chewy. Um, and had uh, television campaigns, and it, its mascot was this sock puppet dog um, the, that, that essentially did, in fact, morph into Triumph, the, the comedian dog. So hmm. were, uh, I don't know if you know the backstory here, but there were lawsuits in the whole thing that, uh, that sort of after Pest.com left, uh, the, the comedian that, that uh, created the Triumph character, like, bought the rights to the pest.com dog and there were some there's some intellectual property fights and stuff so it's kind of fun and uh then and the founder of pest.com is the the also the founder of real real who's going to be at your show um one correction yeah she was not 
not the founder of pets, uh, but CEO, oh, CEO, oh. CEO when they, yeah, yeah. She was hired. Uh, I do have one serious question around and I, and journalists are guilty of this. Um, it feels like only almost every time, uh, you know, journalists are very guilty of this. Almost every time Julie is, you know, appears at something like pets.com comes up 20 years later. And, um, I'm just curious about like, you know, maybe, you know, it's part of, it's, it's something, it's a, it's a role she held, but I'm curious, like what she'll have to do, like what she has to do to like, not have that be part of the part of the story. And and the only reason I ask is, well, a, I had someone reach out to me recently after we announced her and was like, really, you guys still mention pens.com. And it made me think about that. And then B I'm like, who is the CEO of Webvan? Uh, and, uh, Maybe it's just that that person, and I should, uh, I should, I should know whether that person's alive or what they're doing today. Um, I think, I think it might have been a George something. Um, George Shaheen, uh, good job. Okay, um, who you know? Uh, maybe it's just that Julie's had some level of success, and I don't know. That's that's an op- I don't know if that was actually a question, but it's something I I was just thinking about recently, and so yeah. I was interested. If I remember correctly, after Webvan, George became the CEO of what was then Anderson Consulting, now Accenture. Wow. Um, I was going to say something really mean, which is probably not right. I was going to say failing up, but um, but uh, maybe I, I actually was not covering. Oh, I think uh, I think that could be a correct characterization. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Sorry, George. Uh, no, we're, uh, so I have a very minor version of that. I started my career and was the, like one of the original directors of marketing at Blockbuster Entertainment. And in my world, like every time I go visit a client, the, the consultant from my same company right before I get there pops up a slide talking about how you don't want to get Blockbustered. Oh, well. Yeah. So I always. So you, you have failed really up. Uh, I have, but I would actually point out I'm failing down because we sold Blockbuster for $9 billion. Um, and I like to point out people, people always talk about the end and what a failure the company was. Um, you know, railroads are not a very good uh, investment today, but um, uh, Anderson Cooper's family did pretty good on the railroads. <laughs> um, I, I am now staring at your LinkedIn, which um, I, I did not know about this. Uh, yeah, 16, I never lived down. 16, 16 month period of your yeah work work career exactly uh, uh, it's a slide uh, that i i have to um uh, face every single day is the listen uh, listen as someone who grew up so when you were there well i'm not gonna do the age thing but okay i'll do it when well, you were there when you were there yeah. i was um i was in middle school and and blockbuster was probably one of my favorite places on earth. And I have very fond memories, especially now that my parent, both my parents are deceased, very fond memories of going into Blockbuster on Friday nights and, you know, hoping, um, do I, am I remembering correctly that like the case might be out, but like, if you opened it, it, you had it like the, um, you found out whether a movie or a, a game was in or not with whether it was actually the, the case was empty or not, or am I, am I totally making that no, up? You're probably thinking of an independent video store. So like what we would have is the box art would always be there whether the movie was in stock or not. Yep. Behind and next to that box art would be, Oh yes. 30 or 40, uh, blockbuster, um, 
Those are, those are called Amore cases, that plastic case that held the, the video. Got it. Um, well, well, thank you for, yeah. for giving me this, even this cloudy memory of my Friday nights as a 12 year old. Yeah. I appreciate you making it a blockbuster night. We, uh, uh, uh we made a lot of money on that, uh, that stuff. Um, so, uh, <laughs> getting back to, uh, more current topics, Sure. Uh, I want, we want to transition off the podcast, but one question that you, you may have inadvertently um, uh, revealed an answer already, but so season one, Amazon, uh, you are the host. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, you know, at least four more seasons. Are you going to be the host for these other companies or are we going to uh, meet some new characters? Um, most likely not. Um, I think, uh, um, this is, uh, I, I think there will likely be people with more expertise than I have on those other companies. Um, since I have spent, spent the last six years, um, really diving deep into Amazon and e-commerce. So, um, uh, I, I don't, I don't know what the 100% answer is, but that is the 99%, uh, correct answer. <laughs> likely answer. Yeah. So no, I, I, there isn't a plan. And frankly, you know, the, you know, I had to make, you know, by choice, I had to make some trade-offs as I've spent the last six months and still am on this podcast series. Um, uh, and I'm also working on the conference, which was, I've not been able to report and write as frequently as I was, I would like. So, you know, we're in the beginning of August and the last story I published was a big deep dive into, sort of internal tension at Walmart. And that was um, a month ago. So I, I'm anxious to get back to um, a more consistent uh, uh, writing uh, cadence um, starting in the fall. Cool. I like how you started Fang in the middle. So you're kind of like doing episode four Star Wars <laughs> style. And then they'll have to kind of, you know, they'll, they'll do some, someone will have to come in and kind of fill in before you. Uh, <laughs> You I'm know, thinking Netflix is going to be the prequel. Um, I've always wondered, is Amazon the first A in the fang that has two A's or the second A? Uh, well, you know, Kramer coined this. I'm 99% sure. So we could ask him. No, you, we, 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 we all know no one famous actually coins the thing, right? They like borrow it from someone less, less famous. No, I think Kramer did. He had it on his knuckles one night. I remember <laughs> I remember watching the episode. <laughs> okay. okay. When he gets like really fired up, he'll like almost do like a knuckle tattoo. So it was yes. like F-A-A-N-G on his knuckles. I remember that one. Yeah. But my, um, if I'm remembering right, just to jump in, uh, when Kramer did start using it, uh, Apple wasn't even one of the things. So I, I'm assuming it ha it was literally F-A-N-G. And I think, uh, so therefore it has to be Amazon. Um, someone has tried to make, um, for the newer companies, uh, a plus happen? Have you heard that one? Yeah, I've heard several kind of derivatives. They're just not as catchy as Fang. No, and no, and I can't even I can't even tell you what the A and A plus is. Is it? Oh, maybe it's Airbnb. Anyway, the G is now an A also to make things more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds okay. like an Anderson Horowitz thing because it sounds like their portfolio. No, is their PR team? Wasn't A plus the? Um, I'm forgetting which who that actor is who thinks he's an investor. Um, he actually is an investor. Um, Ashton Kutcher. Yes, he is an investor. Sorry, Ashton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a plus, 
A plus isn't, I don't know. That's a- in your world, A plus is Ashton Kutcher. In my world, it's the supplemental high value content on the Amazon product detail page. Mm-hmm. It's both. Um, <laughs> man, we are, we're just nerding. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Cool. So we uh, we recommend that listeners check out Land of the Giants. Um, make sure you get the V in there to, to get the search right. Uh, it's a great podcast. We strongly endorse it here at the Jason and Scott Show. Um, so we, since we have you, Jason, we thought we'd just kind of, and you haven't written about the news, we thought we'd pick your brain about some different topics. Uh, the one I'm most interested in is we, we've had a lot of IPOs kind of recently. So we've had Uber and Lyft are out now. We've got Chewy, um, Real Real, um, they all, you know, Uber and Lyft haven't done so great, but I think the e-commerce ones have done pretty well, especially the Real Real, I think, has done quite well. Um, what do you think's next? I know you follow the shoe guys closely. Are they teeing up or is it, you know, a way just raise a lot of capital? Um, kind of curious if you, you have any insights into to what's next in the pipeline. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll, uh, you know, some of the ones I've, I've been curious about, uh, and so, so wish, wish is a company that, um, has sort of gone through phases of being like, like very much in the business news and then, you know, sort of, uh, out of the news in the business world. And, you know, frankly, I haven't sort of checked in on their performance in a while. And, you know, last I saw, I think, there was some reporting that their their GMV or I don't know what they use for their gross numbers. I want to say was somewhere maybe approaching or around ten billion. And um, and I'm assuming most of the listeners know Wish, but um, should I tell them what it is if they don't? Or so, sure, yeah. So Wish Wish. Um, I like to think of it as essentially uh, AliExpress, but for um, but popular in different markets or sort of Taobao, but with a Western skim on it, essentially not, you know, it's, um, it's a app, mobile shopping app with a feed that specializes in the low priced non-branded products that are very, very cheap. Um, that, uh, often will take weeks to get to you. Although they've, they've opened up some of their own warehouses to stock, sort of the best-selling stuff. Um, and I've just, you know, I've just been very curious about them in a, for a long time, um, mainly for, you know, um, you know, a lot of the stuff they sell, you know, does not last very long. Um, you know, I've, you know, I've wondered a lot about what, you know, what the expectation is um, with different consumers in different countries when they pay a dollar or $2 for something. Like, is it okay that it, breaks after four tries or, you know, is that going to be a significant churn issue? So wish is one, you know, I don't, I, I should say upfront, I, I don't know what their IPO plans are. I could see them going public in the next year, but I'm, that's one of the companies I'm anxious to dig into when I get back to writing a little more. Um, Casper, there's been a lot of talk about. Um, I still look at, I, you know, I still look at that company and, um, uh, and frankly, just skeptical of a long-term independent future. Um, you know, my big question with all these sort of single product for the most part, I know they have some other products, but single product digital native brands is, um, are they really expanding the markets they're in? 
were they just growing much faster than previous iterations in their industry? And so they're going to hit a ceiling much faster. And maybe that's obvious to people, but it's something I think about a lot. And um, I just, you know, I had reported a couple of years ago about talks they had with Target about a, a potential sale for around a billion dollars. Um, so that's just one, like, I don't know what the outcome is, but I'm very curious um, because, uh, I, like I said, I'm, I'm skeptical of a public company that Casper, of Casper is a public company. Um, and then um, some other ones, uh, Instacart, um, I think at least around their current valuation, they seem too big to be acquired. Um, I, I'd love to see in, in, in S1 filing what those unit economics look like. Um, and then one that's sort of commercy, but sort of marketplace. I don't know what you guys, if you guys have heard much or looked at them much recently is house H O U Z C. Um, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk around them maybe a year or two ago. And they've, um, I, I think a lot of these businesses are smart. Like at a certain point, you just want to get, you want to get your economics right at a certain scale. And like, you don't need to be out talking to the business press as much. And so that's another one that's sort of on my radar to check back into. Um, so I, so I did a good job of talking for a few minutes and not actually answering your question. Um, makes, <laughs> makes me feel like a PR person. Yeah. The, no, those are, those are good. Let's see. Uh, how about the shoe guys? Are they big enough or you think they need some time to consolidate? So you're, so, so you're, are, are, are Go. You yeah, I, I mean, I, I still think those are, um, so there's, there's goat and there's, uh, stock X, um, which just, uh, I think had, uh, data breach, um, which took them a long time to reveal. Uh, I actually, I think I just got an email today, but I feel like I saw it reported last week, maybe. Um, uh, I, I, my opinion is I think, I think those are acquisition plays. Um, uh, I, I just, I, I have trouble. I have trouble seeing those guys as public companies. Then again, like, you know, maybe they, you know, uh, the real, real just went public and I know it's not sneakers, but it is, um, it is sort of, uh, high price, uh, high price point items, uh, consignment secondhand. And so, you know, Maybe that is a future, but my bet would be on both companies' uh, acquisitions. Pretty cool. Right. We we've uh, recorded your your bets, and we'll we'll do a recap show later. Um, I'll I'll throw like one slight editorial in that you know kind of um, I think is an interesting thing about some of these companies uh, that's that's just changed as a result of digital disruption. Um, if you were to launch a a really popular single item company 15 years ago, the marketing vehicles that would be available to you and that would be affordable to you um, would uh, like put uh, significant parameters on how quickly you could grow. So even if there was a demand for 5 million people that wanted to buy your product, it might take four or five years for all 5 million of those people to find out about your product. Yes. And today, that that same five million people can uh, will find out about your product one day after you launch. And so, one of the things that I feel like digital has done is artificially compressed the sale, the initial sales mm. um, 
for your product. And so, you know, the mistake I think some people have made is, you know, you look at the, these rapid growth of all these companies and you go, oh man, if we just project that out another five yes. years, yeah. this is a huge business. And what you don't realize is, uh, you've hit, you've hit, you've hit your core customer. much yeah. faster. Yeah. That, yeah. You said that in, in a much more articulate way than I was, than I, than I, had, uh, did earlier, but yeah, that was, point I was attempting to make was are are these companies and we've I think we've seen it with some like are these companies going to hit a ceiling much sooner than both they expect and maybe investors inspect uh, uh, expect and um and so yeah I mean that's why you know I I don't hear it as much but I you know I grew to over time you know a few years ago I would laugh after a period of time when a founder that was like four months in or six months in would talk to me about like with confidence about LTV lifetime value and like modeling out their CAC, you know, um, because, uh, because of that very point you just made, like you're gonna, you're, you're hitting your target audience, um, much quicker than, uh, in the past. Cool. One area I wanted to see if you have any thoughts on is you've done a lot of good coverage around the food delivery companies. Uh, you mentioned Instacart. Um, so there's there's like a bazillion of them. And we saw a little bit of consolidation with the, uh, so someone acquired the one that Square has always. So that was Caviar and they got acquired by DoorDash. DoorDash. Or, DoorDash. DoorDash. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then there was also a controversy around tipping. So, so um, give us an update on what you're seeing there. I mean, it's like the Wild West, right? It's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, we had also reported that uh, Postmates had, you know, filed. Uh, they they had a press release very early this year saying they um, had confidentially filed uh, paperwork with the SEC to go public. Um, we are now in August. They have still not filed their official S1 paperwork uh, publicly. Um, that is very unusual for a company that will. That for companies that will eventually actually make it public, and so we've 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 reported that uh, at Rico that um, they've had talks with some potential acquirers. Um, yeah, there just has to be consolidation. I mean, no one, you know, um, of the private companies, no one's making money. Um, DoorDash is viewed as sort of the, because they have all this money, SoftBank bank uh, uh, backed company. They have tons and tons of money that they are burning through. Um, uh, uh, just to gain market share. I mean, there, you know, the rumors about them doing some deals with some of the, the big, big, uh, sort of quick casual and, or fast casual and, uh, food chains where they're essentially, you know, their take rate or their cut is like close to zero, um, or maybe it's zero in some cases. And so this is, I mean, it's just not sustainable. Um, what I had been told and it, um, was that if Uber went public um, and had a good public outing uh, and was a valued, you know, they were, they were thinking they were going to be valued around $120 billion. I haven't looked recently, but I'm going to try to pull it up right now. What are they, $70, $70 billion? That, that they were going to like, they would be likely to do a deal um, for one of the companies. And so that, you know, the, the pro, well, there's a couple of problems, you know, so, so my bet was they were going to, they were going to either acquire DoorDash or, um, 
uh, even Grubhub, uh, another public company. Um, and but at seventy two billion instead of one hundred twenty billion, those deals at those companies' market caps and valuations um, become really, really you know a big percentage, a large percentage, a meaningful percentage of, of Uber's market cap. Um, and you know, I could I could keep going. One other point, just on like the, de- the debate for Uber on who do who do you acquire? You know, if you acquire DoorDash, you kind of acquire you acquire the crazy sort of the crazy player in the market that's forcing anyone to just everyone in the market to sort of lose their heads and burn cash for market share. But but that that sort of sets you back on the economic side. Like you, that does not help your profitability of your business. Right. Um, maybe there are some synergies, but like on the face of it, no, but if you, if you acquire instead Grubhub, which is a profitable business, you know, you've, you've gained some massive volume. Grubhub's huge in New York with seamless huge in some big market. I think Chicago Grubhub's popular, um, hometown. Um, but then you still have the crazy, cash burner DoorDash out there. And so um, I'm really interested to see what will happen. I think there will be consolidation. I'm hoping we haven't announced any uh, food delivery CEOs for Code Commerce yet, but I'm very confident we'll have one of the heads of one of these services there. Um, And um, what I didn't talk about was the tipping scandal. Um, which is essentially, I I don't know if one of you guys wants to summarize it, but, um, but I'm happy to give my thoughts on it. Yeah. I think the, the summary is the, so they, they all charge, there's, there's kind of two buckets. There's a, there's a delivery fee and then there's a tip. And what's happening is if you, if you put a tip in, then none of the delivery fee, they're essentially kind of, you know, uh, well, a couple of things they do is, it's legal to skim the tip. So, you know, you can charge the worker. Um, you can, you can take out, you know, depending on there's all kinds of rules around this, but something like two to 4% is essentially covering your credit card fee and whatnot. So, so that's one aspect to this. I, I think all that stuff's kind of unethical, but whatever. So it's legal. Uh, and then, uh, and then the bigger thing was that effectively, you know, the, as you tipped, then the company was keeping more and more of the delivery fee, essentially. So they were kind of saying it was like an or. So the driver got, you know, kind of an or from the delivery fee and the tip, not an and. Right. And I think this was surprising to, in, in DoorDash's case, and I don't think they were the only one, um, surprising to both uh, uh, the delivery people when they learned that, you know, I was tipped eight dollars but i didn't get all of that tip um uh and then i think it was surprising to customers and doordash initially said like we believe in this model we believe our it's more steady income for our delivery people with this model and when they don't when they get you know this is better for them when they don't get a good tip and um and then the story kind of exploded again a few months later when I think a New York Times writer, um, a reporter uh, sort of did delivery, like did a first person thing of what it was like. And this came up again. And then DoorDash recently gave in or has said they will change their model. Um, the problem with the whole space, I mean, and I'm going to paint with a broad brush and I know there's some nuances with each service, but generally, like there's just, I think most consumers just don't know 
how much they're paying and where it's going. And, um, you know, maybe for a lot of people, they don't care that they're, you know, the price is basically marked up 20, 30% from what they would pay in the store, because the convenience is worth it. But, um, I really think there's room for an ethical player, um, to stand out by just doing business really the right way. The problem is I think the economics of the business, at least with the current competitive set and how many services there are, don't, don't allow for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's at some point prices will go up and the convenience rent consumer will know that they're, they're paying extra for this stuff. So we have to just kind of get to that normalization. Yeah. The, the tricky part is sometimes when that normalization happens, then the service isn't as appealing to consumers. Right. So I, yeah. a, a similar version has played out with Instacart where they were, art, you know, originally they, they had a low delivery fee, but they were artificially raising the price of all the goods you paid. So it was right. Right. Um, and when customers found out about that, that felt really oily and dishonest. So, you know, they started passing through the items at the same price and tried to charge more for the delivery fee and found that customers weren't willing to, <laughs> to pay that delivery fee. So they like tend to only do good in markets where they, they, they kept the delivery fee low, which meant the unit economics for the business don't work and, and a VC is paying for, for your delivery. Uh, what do you, what do you guys, I'm just curious. And like, do you think any of these, whether it's Instacart or, you know, the, the meal delivery companies, um, do you think, do you think any of them like go away? Like the, do you think we're in for a rude awakening where like, Oh, I do. Some of, the, some of them essential, like one or two of them, like literally collapse. Even I, Well, yeah. I think they consolidate. Um, and one of them does well for a while, but in the long run, uh, all, I'll uh, predict that they all go away and um, or at least change. And the reason I say that is um, that they're essentially offering a service to grocery stores in the case of Instacart or restaurants in the case of the others um, of providing a customer experience that that grocery store retail, you know, restaurant wasn't interested in providing or didn't feel they could adequately provide. Um, And, uh, early on when it's not a big business, it made total sense to do that. Uh, as that service becomes the dominant method of getting those, those companies' products, um, it becomes increasingly stupid for these companies to outsource this, right? And I, I mean, I, the analogy to me oh, is... Oh, I am now... Rem- I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard your take before. Yeah. But I, I want to hear... Days of e-commerce, yeah. uh, nobody built their own e-commerce site, right? Like, we're retailers... And so we'll we'll pay this technology company in Silicon Valley to operate an e-commerce site for us. Or, or in Seattle. Yeah. So that was either Amazon or this company back in the day, GSI. Yes. Uh, and GSI became a very successful, very fast runner, made the owner a billionaire, now owned the 76ers. Um, the, um, in the long run, all of the, the surviving retailers had to find a way to unwind their deals with Amazon and GSI because it just became too important a part of the customer experience. And when and I those and those GSI deals, man, I've heard some oh, he stories. Great salesperson. <laughs> the, the contracts were absurd. Fifteen year, uh, 10, 15 yeah. year deals. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, but in the case of restaurants, there's a huge shift in consumer behavior. Um 20% of all restaurant sales are now consumed off-prem. The, the deals they have with these marketplaces are unprofitable for the restaurants. And so it's, 
it literally at this, uh, if, if it scales under the current economic model, it puts all these restaurants out of business. And side note, all of these delivery companies are secretly o- opening kitchens and commissaries to start delivering yeah. their own food. Um, you know, very similar to Amazon private label um, on their marketplace. Uh, so there's more pressure coming. And the big successful restaurants that actually have products that consumers want, they're going to have to own their own delivery experience, right? And, and you talk to these guys, these huge companies are announcing, oh, we're going to partner with Uber Eats. And I, I go like, that, that's crazy. That's your, the front door of your, your restaurant that you're now outsourcing to someone that's going to disintermediate you from the customer. It, for a variety of reasons, I don't think it's a sustainable model. We'll see. Yeah, yeah one, one other thing I, I um, forgot to mention. Well, a couple of interesting things. One is, you know, the former CEO, ousted CEO of Uber, Travis Kalanick, he's, he's in this space, I think. Um, uh, he has a company, one of, one of or a division of one of his new companies called Cloud Kitchens, which is essentially these like dark, I don't know if you call them dark kitchens or um, basically restaurants that only do delivery. Um, uh, the other thing is, you know, Amazon hasn't come up in this conversation yet, but, and, and they've, you know, I think they announced shutting down Amazon restaurants, uh, their attempt at delivery. Um, uh, I don't think they're out of this. I think like I would, I think the two acquirers to me in this space, at least in the U S are, uh, Uber and, um, Uber and, uh, Amazon. And so I think, you know, will Amazon do any big acquisitions right now with the current regulatory climate? Maybe not, but, um, maybe that's obvious to people that they're not out of it, but I think some people, when they saw them, Amazon shutting down Amazon restaurants thought they were exiting, but I think, I I would not be surprised whatsoever if they if they make a play in this space. No, I I, I think that's very possible. Um, listen, Jason, that's going to be a great place to leave it because we've done it again. We have completely wasted an hour of our listeners' time. Um, but you got you guys did. I didn't I didn't waste that. You no, you were a total willing participant. Okay. Um, the but if listeners disagree and they want to continue the conversation, as always, you could jump on our Facebook page uh, and leave some comments or hit us up on Twitter. Uh, as always, if uh, this was the show that that uh, you know finally added value in your life, um, what you should do is jump on iTunes, give us that five star review, and at the same time, you can subscribe to Land of the Giants um, and hear even more Jason Delray. Can, can I just plug, like, you should really give it a shot. We've been uh, top 50 and top 30 for most of the last week on all of Apple. Um, and I am open to all feedback, good and bad. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Delray, D-E-L-R-E-Y, Jason at Rico.net. We have an email address for Land of the Giants. Uh, and um, I just hijacked your ending. There you go. <laughs> Jason, thanks for joining us uh, and congrats on the success of the podcast. We look forward to hearing the rest of it. Thanks, guys. I'll see you at Code Commerce. Absolutely. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 